Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming from the lovely and cloudy greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we bring you guys every single Sunday to go through our facts and analysis, our interpretation of what's going on in the world today. Just trying to make sense of it through all of the propaganda, the paid intelligence ops, the PR ops, and everything else. And there is a ton. There is a lot to cover. Um, Had a huge discussion last night with Alan trying to just make sense of the world and everything going on. And to the point where we have to like prioritize, like, what are we going to talk about? Because there's so much nonsense going on. So, um, you know, pretty packed show. Uh, kind of coming forward on it. A lot of uh, there's more discussion about Ukraine. Just a couple things on there. Obviously, there's some of the UFO stuff that we have to do. Uh, we have the wonderful pat on the back that we get to give ourselves for what we covered last week and how we basically uh, were prophets in figuring out exactly how the left was going to react to the whole uh, East Palestine uh, train derailment um, and and like just much much more. But the way that I want to open it up is. A lot of people have probably seen on social media, there's this uh, this big push that it, I don't want to say it's a big push because it's sort of a continuing uh, situation that we saw, which is all of the uh, leftists that are basically complaining about, um, sorry, complaining about Ron DeSantis uh, saying that he's banning books. And there was even a, a video that was shown where uh, this was uh, quite a while ago, several weeks ago, and I, I believe we even talked about it on the show where th- this teacher was claiming that they like removed every book basically from their library because they were all banned by big evil mean Ron DeSantis. And it turns out that that was all a lie. They were like moving or cleaning or something like that. And so this teacher like lie basically lied to everyone representing the school district saying like i am a teacher at this school district and look at all of the books we had to get rid of because of mean fascist ron DeSantis. and the left is infuriated because that teacher was fired and Good. i would like to you know I, w- I would like to think that if i had an employee that went around and was directly lying to people and upsetting them on well, behalf causing of my a- Mm-hmm. Causing a problem for the administration. Yeah, to score political points on social media. Yeah, you get fired for that. Mm-hmm. That that's something you get fired for. And so it, it's it, there. The the left, the blue and on, as as we'll say, is trying to turn this into. They had to fire the teacher because the teacher was telling the truth. You know, like, I don't know. Patriots are in control or whatever. Sure. It, it's so it's so dumb, but. Interestingly, what this does point to is the left seems to be extremely concerned over the idea of banning books. Now, I don't need to remind the audience of this, but in case the occasional liberal trips and falls into our, uh, you know, into our live stream here, I want to remind everybody that the only thing that you're not allowed to give a kid in school 
according to the Florida law, which, by the way, has stood for quite a while, wasn't even a Ron DeSantis thing, was uh, you just can't give porn to kids, uh, which yeah, I that thought was the rule. We, we as a society can, can all agree with. Hey, guys, maybe we don't give porn to children. Um, but the left seems to be really upset over the idea that you can't give porn to children because they want to give porn to children, I guess. And as we know, and as you guys can see, if you follow us on Twitter or elsewhere, we consistently and regularly share the kind of books that the left is pushing towards children. And they're they're all it's, it's sex. It's like literally sex. It's porn. It's it's all of it. Um, and it's I mean, they're. We all know why. We all can understand it. There's a lot of reasons to surmise and get into the psychology of it. But my question is here. If the left is so concerned over the idea of literature being controlled, literature being censored, the idea that uh, the an author's words could potentially be silenced, I will ask this question. Is it okay to change the words of an author's work? Now, the reason why I bring this up is today, a lot of stuff, or a day ago, a lot of stuff was being shared because Rolled Doll has a new, uh, the Puffin, Puffin Publishers has released the new 2022 version of several Rolled Doll books. That's the guy who wrote James and the Giant Peach and Matilda. And uh, there's edits that have been done between the 2001 editions and the 2022 editions. And I will go through them. Here's an excerpt from The Witches. Don't be foolish, my grandmother said. You can't go around pulling the hair of every lady you meet, even if she is wearing gloves. Just you try and see what happens. Has been edited to... Don't be foolish, my grandmother said. Besides, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. Another excerpt from The Witches. Even the 2001 edition, even if she is working as a cashier in a supermarket or typing letters for a business. The Revised edition 2022, even if she is working as a top scientist or running a business. And then from Matilda, 2001, she went on, she went on older, I'm sorry. She went on olden day sailing ships with Joseph Conrad. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway and to India with Rudyard Kipling. 2022. She went to 19th century estates with Jane Austen. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway and California with John Steinbeck. Wow, that's incredibly cringy and lame. So fundamentally, my question. Oh, and there there was there was an update as well. Sorry, they also changed uh Charlie and the Chocolate Fact. We're going to you want to do all of these or uh... What do you think? Uh, we don't have one? to do all of them, but some of the more egregious ones where it's it's it is absolutely clear the mindset behind the person making these changes, which in every case seem completely unnecessary to us. But it, it's a good window into the kind of people that would think these changes must be made for young readers. Yeah, so like uh change to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
uh, a nine-year-old boy who was so enormously fat, he looked as though he had been blown up with a powerful pump. Turned to a nine-year-old boy who was so enormous, he looked as though he had been blown up with a powerful pump. So they had to take the word fat out. Now, James and the Giant Peach. Ant Sponge was enormously fat and very short. Ant Sponge was quite large and very short. Uh, <laughs> she had a screeching voice changed to she had an annoying voice. I'm trying to figure this one. Those two, oh, those 2001, those two ghastly hags, those two ghastly ants. Oh. They also did things like change the, uh, spider like the spiders no longer referred to as black uh they no mm-hmm. longer discuss they no no longer mention the this is from james and the giant peach they no longer refer to the uh worm as the pink worm it's the, uh, the pink skinned worm it's the smooth skinned worm it's you know like so that here's the question is this okay i mean i know our audience obviously is like no absolutely not but where are all the book banners where are the people who've been screeching about book banning? This is direct censorship. It is the changing of the words of an author. It is absolutely revisionism of literature. And if you are truly upset about banning books and the censorship of literary work, you should be infuriated over this kind of act. Why wouldn't you be? But at the same time, Do you think they're only reserving this for fiction? Do you think they're only reserving this for children's stories? Because people are going to use the excuse that they're lightening the tone a little bit for kids so they can understand it. But if they're so craven about this, and just to remind everybody, 2022, this went under the radar. Right. So, sorry, go on, Alan. No, it's these changes are so flippant that you would wonder they clearly there is no barrier no worry about making changes like this it's like editing out the word fat it's like was ret really a problem but they went through all the process this publisher editors all of these people involved greenlit this and said yeah we have to go through the work of doing this and changing these books because it has the word fat in it to describe a character. The spider is des- is described using the color black and we have to change that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. If they're going to put forth the effort to do it for things that flippant, it then makes me worried they will abs they ha- it makes me worried that they then have absolutely been changing things much more substantial in other works. Let's say these same people were in charge of editing a history book. Mm-hmm. Would you get the same description of history from the people that are editing out words like fat than you would from the original works? How much different is it going to be? Will they say, well, we need to edit all this entire section on Christopher Columbus to reflect a more modern understanding of how he genocided the Native Americans into the dirt? Oh, you know, this book on World War II uh, you know, we don't like that it mentions even passingly uh, some allied, you know, war crimes. So let's just edit those out because that could be confusing to young readers. And we need to instead include yet another co- another chapter on, uh, you know, Japanese war crimes. 
or oh, no, it wouldn't oh, here's be, they this beautiful work on the American. Uh, here's this history book on the American Revolution. You know, these evil white men, the founding fathers, is getting way too much time in this. We need to edit this a little bit and make sure that we hear that, you know, one of the founding fathers, what if we made him a freed slave and had him <laughs> give a soliloquy at the Continental Congress? I mean, that never happened, but wouldn't that be good if that was in the book? Really, like, how many, how many black and brown bodies would be uplifted if we just actually made Alexander Hamilton black? Yeah, he's going to be completely black. That'd be great. In fact, let's not even include a section on Thomas Jefferson because he had slaves. So we'll just edit him out of the out of this history book. Well, they certainly would want to do that. <laughs> right. That's the worry. It's like when they're editing books this flippantly, it makes me wonder what they are editing intentionally. Exactly. And so, you know, that that's that's the, you know, that's the question for the class. Where's where's all the people that are concerned about a uh, censorship of literature? And of course, it gives the game away. And that's the whole mm -hmm. point here is it gives the game away because it's never about those things. They're only they're only upset, supposedly, about, quote, banning books, because apparently they just want kids to have free access to porn all the time uh, in school libraries that teach gender queer theory because, well, they want to indoctrinate kids. That's the funniest thing is like I typically I don't like to do the um, the, the, the super amount of hyperbole when it comes to, you know, a, a lot of commentary i mean i like to make fun of the left like anybody else but sometimes things do get like extremely hyperbolic until they turn into a point where i have to look at it and go yeah but like you guys legit are acting like you're grooming kids like that's the whole thing is is it's not that i'm afraid to say stuff like it and i'll make the joke that well it certainly seems like they are but when you're this upset and i know a lot of people it's just they hate republicans so they'll just join the attack squad but there is a route somewhere where teachers are really upset over the idea that uh, different in it, because it's not just Florida, but that different states and parents and things are getting involved in like, what exactly are you giving my kids? And they're mad about it. And it could be so easy for schools just to do the normal lame, lame school thing of being like, oh, my gosh, we were unaware. So sorry. And then just move on. But they're doubling down. And they're doubling down yeah. because that's their gravy train. They're proving, they are proving the theory that has existed in conservative minds and right-wing minds for decades now. And that is that the left regularly uses the public school system as basically a recruitment and, and uh, a gulag or a, a propaganda outlet um, of indoctrination into progressivism. And they're mad about it. They're basically they're in, they're incensed over the fact that oh god parents are paying attention again. We can't just keep indoctrinating their kids. And by right. the way, the reason why parents aren't paying attention isn't because of anything necessarily special on the right. It's because the left has gone so insane. Mm -hmm. Like that, honestly, which is absolutely the case. Now, that's something that we I've, you, we've noticed is. People on the right simply just look at the left and get rat and go, well, that's all they have to do is be told, here's what the left is actually doing. Because people on the left have gone the, I guess, I don't even know. It's not even like one group, but it's the mainstream culture of liberalism has gone so far off the rails in what it is accepting and supportive of that 
I think the vast majority of people don't have any, would not, don't even believe it. And that's why you have people like Tucker Carlson and other right-wing commentators who's all they do is just go, here's what the left actually says. Here is a video of them actually saying this. Here is a, you know, here, Project Veritas is another good example. Like, here's an undercover video of him saying this. That's all they have to do. And normal people go, that's horrific. Mm-hmm. And whereas if you look at leftist media, all it is entirely is it never is an outside opinion. It never focuses on what the right is saying or doing. It is simply, here's a bunch of left-wing experts to tell you what to think. And the right yeah, this- goes, here's a guy on the left saying this thing. Take whatever conclusion you want from that, but uh, do you, you probably don't agree with this guy because he's crazy. And most people go, I do not agree with him. He is crazy. I will support whatever the opposite of that is. That is an interesting thing that I have noticed and, and have been bringing up is is right-wing media, for the most part, is playing the left's words. It's, it is highlighting what liberals are saying. Um, now we, we can talk about policy and things like that. We can explain why we disagree on certain things and then present facts that refute certain claims. But by and large, a lot of what we do in right-wing media is point out what the opposition is saying. We give them, I've said this before when, when I was talking about like censorship a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about different, you know, different people being censored and all that. And I clearly stated that I absolutely under no circumstances want to see liberals be censored because it's our bread and butter. I love it when they talk because they are the most red pilling faction in the United States. The more the left speaks and the more the left speaks honestly and when they think that they are only that when they think they are merely speaking to their allies, it is the best recruitment tool that we could ever have for people to vote for common sense policies because the left reveals themselves as craven, insane, and even more so than just some of the dumb things that they do and say and whatever is how hateful they come off to regular Americans. You can see how much of it is just this sort of buried anger and like, I don't know if smug is the right word, but they have these like kind of these angry grins all the time because what, what drives them so much is this is going to make conservatives angry on the internet. <laughs> and it's just well, like, I think in real life too, mm-hmm. I think a lot of leftist poly for a long time has been focused on, this is going to make our enemies upset. And I think that's how they sort of conceive a lot of what they do as what do I need to support? Well, what is the, what makes the right rank? What, what makes my enemies angry? All right. I'm going to support that. Even if exactly. it's to their own detriment, what does the right wing complain about? All right, we're going to support that thing. It's like, sir, that thing is pedophilia. Don't care. Makes my, the right wing angry. It's clearly what we want to support. Right. And it, yeah, which is which is simply just it's just bananas incredible. But on top of that, you know, we I would be remiss if I didn't remind everybody that it is actually Black History Month. I mean, and. <laughs> Of course amazingly, amazingly, um, we've talked before about the grift that is Black Lives Matter and how it's pretty much just a giant money making scheme. What's I mean, 
what fantastic. would America be without the worship of our Negro friends? What's fantastic is exactly how much the grift has been exposed. There have there are uh, tweets being shared, and you can find it um, on our on our Twitter account uh, if you just look for Wrong Think Radio there. There are a bunch of BLM activists, like, you know, verified Twitter accounts, large followings and all of that, that all kind of started messaging each other uh, the other day and are complaining because nobody's booking them. And normally Black History Month was like their big moneymaker. So there's all these black women that are complaining that they used to be overbooked and just, you know, had so many people you know, busting out the gills for them to be able to go and basically preach about how bad white people are. And now nobody is hiring them. And so there seems to be zero, you know, need to have race hustlers anymore going into corporations for God knows how much money. But what was even more pointed about it was a lot of these activists are also complaining that all that their grift their millions millions dollar grift has been replaced by DE&I, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the corporate term that's used for basically this race hustling. And almost entirely all of the people who come in and set up these DE&I workshops and get paid all of this money to come and consult for companies are white women. Oh, the and horror. this is infuriating to all of these black women who used to be making millions of dollars off of corp of corporate money going in during black history month to complain about racism and they're they're upset and they're angry over it and once again they're giving the game away there's a bunch of black lives matter activists that are pissed off because they're not making any money this year and mm. i can actually explain to you why that's happening well, in, in within the thread that was kind of going on, and by the way, a lot of these, uh, the reason why I'm not naming them is because uh, they, a lot of them went and protected their tweets when people started sharing this out because it was too revelatory. Like mm -hmm. you're, because by the way, zero of their complaints are, I don't think that people aren't, are being educated about race. I don't, uh, or like, they're not concerned saying, I don't think people are being educated about race. I don't think people are concerned about racism anymore. No, they're complaining that they're not getting business. That was their complaint. Their complaint was they weren't getting business money. So yeah. they started protecting their Twitter accounts and things like that because people were going, oh, so that's what it's all about. But in addition to it, what they were also complaining about is a lot of the people they were setting contracts up with are being laid off. So now ah. understand, obviously, you know, we're in economic turmoil. Biden's the Biden economy is garbage, but it is actually affecting a lot of areas like the tech sector, which had more money than it knew what to do with. But anybody who's been following tech knows that like Microsoft, Google, and a lot of these other large, uh, even Alphabet, I believe, a lot of these large tech companies have had to start making some very serious layoffs and cut down their work and labor force. Well, some of the programs that got targeted to cut down and basically lean to deal with Joe Biden's insane economy and 8% inflation 
some of those cuts came from diversity, equity, and inclusion because it doesn't actually produce anything. It's nothing more than a millions dollar money sink. And I, somebody who you know regularly works with Fortune 500, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, I can tell you they spend millions of dollars on these programs. It's insane how much money these corporations will spend strictly on funding people to come in and bitch about race and honestly in quite honestly cause nothing more than racial strife within the workplace but it was because they were told they had to do it and it's because of esg funds evaluating them by their de and i programs for them to get loans right exactly so now Hilarious to see that happen is all these BLM activists are super pissed off uh, <laughs> because uh, because they're not getting any business. But since I did touch on the economy a little bit, uh, we've obviously we've been seeing the Biden administration lie a lot. And part of those lies are wrapped up in the idea that inflation's going down, even though it actually went up. And one of the things that I mentioned is I know that right before the State of the Union, Biden was claiming that he made something like three million, uh, three million jobs or some nonsense like that. And I reminded everybody that the last time that Joe Biden had a major win when it came to uh, the jobs market, that it, it, it got revised, like silently revised. Almost nobody covered it. And he was off by like a million jobs. They said that he uh, created 1.2 million jobs and then they removed the one. Yeah, like the estimate was so far off that the, it was like, oh, it was actually only 200,000. Now, regardless of that, though, um, I want to remind everybody. So the economy's not doing well. Everyone's asking questions about how they're going to be able to afford to eat. But additionally, there's a lot of complaints in the United States about Social Security. And there's been a lot of lies shared by the Biden administration. There are some Republicans who actually have a spine. And regardless, and to be fair i've seen a lot of right-wing commentators do exactly the thing that i hate about republicans and i hate about republican media which is oh my god don't talk about social security it's a losing game don't talk about it stop being dumb because mm -hmm. what's actually happening is there are republicans out there that are saying social security is insolvent that is a true statement it will be bankrupt soon Every estimate yeah. to include coming from the Congressional Budget Office, which is not a bastion of right-wing conservatism, is saying by like 2035, Social Security will be completely insolvent. It, it, it is bankrupt. It is, un, it is completely unsustainable. And so that is a known thing. That is a known entity. But because some commentators are so afraid of Republicans looking bad and what CNN's going to say about them, they're basically saying, kick the can down the road until it gets to a point where all of these people have spent their entire lives paying into a program uh, and then suddenly it just bankrupts and nobody can pay for it. And by the way, to these right wing commentators who are too afraid to tell the American people the truth because they only think of things in each election cycle, um, I guarantee you that when Social Security goes bankrupt and the government officially announces its bankruptcy, it's going to be a Republican president because of course the Democrats would line it up that way. Of course they would allow that. That's exactly how that would happen. You idiots. And then when people 
basically march on Washington, D.C. in a rage because money's been stolen out of their paycheck by the United States government, used to fund everything but their well-being, and then it goes bankrupt, it'll be a coup against likely a Republican and conservative government that will then result in a police state run by the Democrats, and they'll feel justified the entire time because they'll talk about the evil right-wing tyrant who bankrupted Social Security against the people. You idiots, you children, you morons. Too busy wringing their hands wanting, I just want Ron DeSantis to win in 2024. Stop talking about Social Security. Let's just lie more, you weak cowards. Yeah, they are pretty shitty, aren't they? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Alan. That whole, whole rant was an introduction into what Joe Biden had to say earlier this week. So interesting, I just just went on a rant about Social Security and how our Social Security is about to be bankrupt. But it's okay, because the United States government is here to help, just not help you. And to deliver much-needed humanitarian assistance as well as food, water, medicine, shelter, and other aid to Ukrainians displaced by Russia's war, and provide aid for those seeking refuge in other countries from Ukraine. It's also going to help schools and hospitals open. It's going to allow pensions and social support to be paid to the Ukrainian people so they have something, something in their pocket. Oh, good. We are making sure. (laughs) We are making sure that the Ukrainians get paid their pensions. We're funding their hospitals. We're funding their schools. We're giving their refugees money. Like, do, do we just own Ukraine now? Is it the 51st state? I mean, it seems like that's the plan. The plan is to dominate Ukraine and just own it forever, I guess. And I can, maybe this is why Russia is so upset. Maybe this is why Russia invaded. It's because the United States clearly is acting as though it's going to make Ukraine the 51st state because it has some incredible interest in controlling the, in controlling and owning Ukraine. I, I don't know. It, it is continually baffling to me how the American ruling class is completely and utterly associated with Ukraine. Like that's what is baffling. It's like they're doubling down so far into onto Ukraine that I can't help but think that there's some reason behind it that they're not discussing with us. I mean, if they came out and basically said, look, the Uk- like Ukraine is going to basically become a protectorate of the United States or something like that, I would be like, oh, I mean, that's interesting. It's a little weird, but OK. I mean, but we're we're as far as I can tell, I think we're just funding their entire government. Like, yeah. Egg people can't afford eggs at the grocery store. Gas is. Like. I can't remember the percentages off the top of my head, but it's far more than it was when Joe Biden, you know, came into office. Inflation is reducing everyone's take home pay and things are not looking good economically. Well, and we've got trains just falling off tracks and things like that going on here in the United States. But we're like, we're funding an entire foreign government. We're paying their pensions. We're paying for their hospitals. We're paying for their schools. What the hell is going on? And, and by the know. way, just, just to weird, remind right? everybody, we're, we're, for all intent and purpose, we're not involved in this war. Yeah. Remember right? that. We have not declared war on Russia. 
Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. So why? Why are we paying for all? Like what? To, to, to Alan's point, what's the point of all of this? What is? What are we? People don't want to say it this way, but what are we getting for this? Should I care so much about Russia? Does Russia affect my daily life so much that I need to sit here and fear and say, oh my gosh, no, we should fund an entire other country, which by the way, is known to be corrupt, known to be horribly corrupt, but we should give them all of this money, just all of our tax money, even though American people are suffering every single day, we should give them all of this money because if we don't, something's going to happen. And I get it. Like, I, I know a lot of boilerplate conservatives will be like, well, the suffering of the Ukrainian people. I don't know how to tell you guys this. That's war. Wars happen well, a lot. No, and in it, war, no, this war was suffer. completely unavoidable. It is complete. It could be stopped tomorrow if the United States wanted it to. That's well, no, that's yeah. it's like gay marriage in Ukraine is not worth killing, getting a bunch of Ukrainians killed over, killed over. Yeah. So you're, you're taking you're taking the position of it, the U.S. literally pushed Ukraine into this war. It is not a position. It is a verifiable fact. The United States sponsored a coup in Ukraine in 2014 with the intent of driving Ukraine into the Western sphere of influence immediately after that coup. Well, actually, in 2008, originally, the United States and basically pressured, well, the United States pressured NATO to announce that it was going to pursue NATO membership for Ukraine in 2008. And after that announcement, Russia basically said in no uncertain terms, we would take Ukraine's addition to NATO as a legitimate and serious threat to our national security. And since 2008, the United States has been pushing for Ukraine to join NATO in spite of all Russian, increasingly Russian uh, arguments against it or Russian pressure against it. In 2014, a president was elected to Ukraine that wanted to reconcile with Russia and proceed and pursue a path of neutrality, accepting a major Russian deal for Ukraine that was basically counter against the, the NATO deal. Essentially, the NATO and the EU said, Ukraine, we're going to give you this giant, awesome deal. Russia then said, well, we'll give you an even better deal if you just don't join NATO. The president then said, actually, that sounds like the best deal for the Ukrainian people. He was then cooed out of office by the CIA and the new puppet regime that was installed by the U.S. just continued to pursue NATO membership. All the United States had to do since 2014 is simply say Ukraine should be neutral. Like we want Ukraine to be neutral. It's not going to be in the Russian sphere of influence, not going to be in the American sphere of influence. But the U.S. State Department couldn't help themselves and continued to push Ukraine to join NATO since then. This has been going on for now decades. And Russia's finally finally said it was actually in, in 2022. The announcement came that Ukraine was absolutely going to join NATO. And that is what pushed the Russians to invade. That, that's, that was it. That was what so, it was. And if the United States had simply dropped that gracefully and said, well, you know, we're going to be the good guys. We're not going to antagonize Russia. We're not going to create problems on the world stage. We will broker a deal with Russia that guarantees Ukrainian neutrality so that it is not in a military confederation against Russia. Russia would probably have said that's acceptable. We don't want to, we don't have to invade. It's like, what is Russia's goal in Ukraine? Oh, they're going to invade and this is all about reforming the Soviet Union. That's utter nonsense. It is about a national security threat to Russia. 
The United States has been pushing NATO expansion all across Eastern Europe, which NATO is. The Russians view NATO as a military confederation whose sole goal is to bring war against Russia. Because for the last 50 years, that was the entire point of NATO. If, if Russia was adding Canada to a military confederation that could then station all sorts of anti-ballistic missile sites, air, air force bases, etc., and build up troops in the American border, we would absolutely go, that is unacceptable. You can't do that right on our border. It, the United States government pushed Ukraine into this because the United States government, after the coup in 2014, owned the Ukrainian government. The State Department had co has totally co-opted and controlled the Ukrainian government since 2014. This entire war was avoidable. This entire war could be solved tomorrow. In fact, the Ukrainian government was stymied by U.S. and British pressure from asking from starting peace talks with Russia months ago. Members of the Ukrainian government wanted to start peace talks with Russia, I think, like four months ago now. And the British and American governments intervened and said, no, there will not be a deal reached with Russia yet. This war is about sacrificing Ukrainians so that the United States government can get some sort of political win out of it. And I guess continue the knowingly corrupt activities that U.S. politicians and European politicians were engaged in in Ukraine. It is no coincidence that... Hunter Biden, the president's son, was being paid thousands of dollars by a company owned by the major financial backer to Zelensky. It's no coincidence that any of this is happening because all of these American politicians and businesses were busy exploiting the corruption in Ukraine and are now upset that that could be that could go away because of the Russian invasion. Now. I want to remind the audience that Alan just gave that entire um, rundown for free, but Thank let's you. see what the counter response is from John Kirby, who speaks on behalf of the National Security Council. Here's oh. how he handled the, the, these same questions. Tell me who did a better job in the comments. Let me know in the comments who did a better job at responding to this entire situation. Uh, Alan or John Kirby from the National Security Council. To look at this and say the reason that the Russian army is on NATO, uh, the, the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is because NATO has expanded rather than the, the Russians expanding. That, in other words, NATO has moved closer to Russia rather than Russia moving closer to NATO. Is that not an accurate way to look at this? I think that's the way President Putin probably looks at it. It's certainly not but, the way that we look at it. You don't, you don't think that NATO has expanded eastward toward Russia? NATO has expanded, okay. and, and the expansion so the has reason, been a good thing for... So the reason that the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is not the fault of the Russian army. Not the, it's not the Russian army that's done it. It's NATO has moved closer to move east. I'm pretty east. sure it wasn't NATO who was ordering you know, upwards of 15 battalion tactical groups to within 10 kilometers of the border with Ukraine. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't NATO who put little green men inside Ukraine to destabilize okay. Eastern well, I'm cities. I'm pretty sure that Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So unless that's changed. It's not, it's not okay. changed, but I'm so, pretty sure the movement by Russia is has NATO, has, If NATO has moved east, the reason that the Russian army is closer or on NATO's doorstep is because NATO moved. Not NATO is not an, an anti-Russia alliance. NATO is a security alliance. Unfortunately. 
for 50 years it was an anti-Soviet alliance. So do you not understand understand how, or can you not even see, how the Russians would perceive it as as a threat? And the fact that it keeps getting closer to their border while their troops I mean, the, the places where their troops are, you say their troops are, and may, may have been in Ukraine and Georgia, are not NATO members. I don't have, I'm not going to pretend to know what goes in President Putin's mind or Russian military commanders. I mean, okay. I barely got a history degree at the University of South Florida. Right. What, I can tell you, what I can tell you is that, is that uh, NATO is a defensive alliance. It remains a defensive alliance. Fair enough, but it has moved east. Correct? I mean, that's just a fact. It has expanded, absolutely. Right, exactly. But there's no reason reason for anybody to think the expansion is a hostile or threatening move. And we've been saying that throughout the last 15 years, Matt. You're you're moving closer to Russia. You're blaming the Russians for being close to NATO. No, no, no. no. That's that's exactly what Hegel said. We're blaming the Russians for violating the territorial integrity of Ukraine and destabilizing the security situation. Which is not a NATO member. Which is not a NATO member. Other countries feel threatened. I have a question, real quick. Uh-huh. What's the purpose yeah. of NATO? It's uh, a defensive alliance, according to John Kirby, right? That's correct, yes. A defensive alliance for whom? For, for the every country in the world? <laughs> right, yeah. Because the, if you listen to the lady at the very end, it's like, they, well, other countries felt threatened. Okay, I don't mm-hmm. care. Why would I, What in in what way is adding Ukraine to NATO going to better protect the current NATO countries? Or is it going to make war with Russia likely? That's the the part about this. I've always been baffled by this argument is adding Ukraine to NATO deliberately antagonizes the Russians and makes it more likely that Russia will declare war and and foster acts of aggression against current NATO countries. So we are sacrificing the security of the countries already in NATO to add a country of for what value? Like, oh, they felt threatened. Okay, that's. I don't care that they felt threatened. I now feel threatened because my country is now in the crosshairs of Russia. I don't, all of this is, if you listen to his response, it is simply a smokescreen to justify NATO expansion because he can't say the real reason. The, one of the real because if he goes down this line of logic, people will rightfully go, "Well, you could have just not expanded NATO there and then avoided this whole conflict." He's like, "Yeah, but you don't understand. We had to. Why? Well, because my boss had a lot of money invested in Burisma, a Ukrainian company, and we needed that company to make more profits, so we had to add it to NATO so they could get good trade negotiations to make the company more money, which they didn't pass to my boss." Like, that's the thing. It's how is NATO helped? How is the security of existing NATO countries helped by adding Ukraine? The only, there's only, there's the only answer for that would be, why is it important to NATO as a military alliance? How is it, how is it made stronger by the addition of Ukraine? Well, we could position more weapons closer to Russia. Yeah. That is the re, that is the value of Ukraine is, oh, we are right on the doorstep of Russia. We are inside the traditional boundaries of Russia because Ukraine used to be part of the Russian Empire. The way Eastern Europe is set up is if you are using Ukraine as a launching point for an invasion of Russia, you are in a vastly better position to do that than if you are, say, in Poland 
like the rivers you have to cross, the distances you have to cross, where you can position supplies, the Good existing morning. infrastructure. Sunday it morning. makes invasions of Russia vastly easier to start in Ukraine rather than to start in Poland. There's a buffer zone. Like this is, I mean, World War II is a great example. The, the Nazis in World War II blasted across Ukraine, but by the time they got across Ukraine, their supply lines were extremely long, They were their troops were dispersed, and it made it that much easier for Russia. It basically gave Russia time to coordinate a response. It's, it's a defense in depth strategy. That is how Russia has traditionally viewed Ukraine, as Ukraine is the buffer zone that allows Russia to respond to invasions from Europe, which has happened many, many times in history. Mm -hmm. So if you're starting in Ukraine on the border, you're now within strike range of Moscow. So that's the value of Ukraine. If you want to, if you want to go to war with Russia, if you want to put military pressure on Russia, having Ukraine and as a military base of operations absolutely threatens Russia and is absolutely one of the major goals for adding it to NATO is because if you can militarize Ukraine for your side, you now make it you now put Russia in a much more tenuous strategic situation, and that is what they want. But they cannot admit that because it makes them look bad. It it destroys every moral argument for this, and basically goes, well, like, is what if we just weren't going to go to war with Russia? And they're like, no, you don't understand. We have to eventually go to war with Russia because we have to. Well, what if we were just, you know, reconciled with Russia and then didn't need to spend all this effort? boxing them in inside this inside this military like confederation like no you don't understand like russia isn't captured yet by the by the western elites so we have to surround them with military assets so we can inevitably conquer them you're like but i'm sorry who voted for this who voted for the united states to act as some sort of global hegemon that is expanding its empire and looking to surround Russia for an inevitable defeat and absorption into the global American empire. I didn't vote for that. I don't think that's necessarily necessary. And I can totally understand why the Russians would want to resist being dominated by America and being essentially color revolutioned into the global American empire. Well, and you see, that's exactly it is this comes down to a very simple question. Like, I know that everybody wants to play to emotion on this, and I know that everybody wants to do the virtue signally, like Slava Ukraine or whatever the hell the phrase is. Um, mm -hmm. But like, very serious question: Does the Bi has the Biden administration and Democrats and NATO and the other Western countries signaled that they want Vladimir Putin removed? from office and someone else to take his place. Has that been signaled by the people who represent NATO? Yes or no? The answer to that is yes. So and if, if, and if I may be Russia, so bold, if I may be so bold <laughs> as to analyze the pattern, I believe the long-term plan for the US State Department and intelligence community and NATO as a whole the long-term plan was probably surround Russia with military assets in Ukraine, Finland, Sweden, all over the place. Heck, they even tried a color revolution in Kazakhstan a couple years ago. Surround Russia with enough military assets that you can then prompt a color revolution, and then you can flood military assets into the country in support of that color revolution against hardliners who are trying to take it back. Right. 
Because that would cause, like, if there was a color revolution in Moscow that was pro-Western, it would probably cause a civil war in Russia. And if you had enough military assets stationed around Russia, you could then use those military assets to support the fledgling American allied government in Moscow against all of the Russian generals and military units that would be trying to retake their country. Like, so, like, serious question, Alan, and, and this is a weird theoretical here. But like if the if the US government, like let's just pretend that we had an honest and transparent United States government. But like yeah. if the president of the United States, not Joe Biden, came out and said, We think that America needs to be the only sole superpower on the planet, and Russia is challenging that position. Therefore, we are going to pressure Russia with military force and NATO to tamp themselves down. And so either they behave or if they keep trying to basically take top dog slot or whatever, um, we're, we're going to make it so painful for them that they get in line. Would you, would you feel as uh, concerned? Would you be as bothered by what we're doing in regards to Ukraine, if there was Honestly, that amount, no. right? Because because I you say, understand, well, I might disagree with this, but I would it would at least be honest. Because like, I I I like I like the United States. I don't like the the foreign excursions and things like that. But if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm not like horribly against the idea of the United States being the best country and having the best foot forward. I I think every country in all reality, or at least every country should be viewing the world in such a way. How can I become the best? Right? Sure. Um, but I'm not trying to be like super imperialist, but I mean, imperialism is it to be fair. Imperialism's way more honest than whatever this bullshit is we're doing. Um, but when I look at it, it's like if, if they just came out and said that, it wouldn't it probably wouldn't be popular against the like limp-wristed nonsense that you get from all the DC consultants and lobbyists which is like no we're just the nice people fighting the bad people life is really an avengers movie it's fine like yeah. it wouldn't be pop but at least it would be honest but the problem mm -hmm. is is i just gave that theoretical but that's not even what we're doing because we're not challenging china and so right. that's the problem is if we were also being aggressive with China, it would actually be hard for me to debate this because I'd be like, well, I don't necessarily like, yeah. agree. Oh, yeah. We, we are like overt imperialism. I can at least un is it understandable. We're just yeah, like, it we are going sense. to be the best country in the world. We're going to control the world as much as we possibly can, because if we don't, someone else will. I can absolutely right. sympathize with that. The fact the problem is because if you look at how the United States works with China and other countries in the national stage, and I think for me personally, mostly the domestic policy of the U.S. government against its own citizens, that proves to me that whatever this global empire that they are trying to create, whatever this global union of nations, the United States, NATO, the United Nations, whatever they're trying to create is absolutely in the antithesis of what I want because they've identified me and what I believe as the enemy. And if they didn't do that, if it was, say, this is this is going to be the American empire for American values and, you know, for the the best like life and livelihood of Americans like me, I would probably feel a lot more comfortable with them going on these military adventures. 
But the fact that they've identified me as also their enemy alongside Russia makes me think Russia's maybe not so bad and that these people are rightfully to be opposed. Boy, that's actually a very, really, I mean, on, honestly, like that is at the crux of it as much as all these people on, you know, all the liberals and everybody on Twitter and, and the way that Democrats talk. And you even heard it from John Kirby, where he's like, I think that that's maybe what President Putin says, basically inferring that the reporter for having the temerity of asking him a question that wasn't a softball or, you know, jerking him off uh, was, well, you must just be reading Russian propaganda. Um, but that's the thing. It's like I, the, the majority of people in the United States don't give a damn about Russia. They're not pro Russia. It's just, well, you've also said that I'm the enemy. So who am I supposed to be on the side of like the people yeah. who hate me and want me dead also hate them and want them dead. That makes me feel a stronger connection to them than I do to the countrymen who hate me and want me dead. But what's interesting about this is earlier this week. Uh, there was a news story that Russia wants to, uh, well, this, this comes from Reuters. Russia wants the United Nations Security Council to ask for an independent inquiry into September attacks on the Nord Stream gas pipelines connecting Russia and Germany that spewed gas into the Baltic Sea. Russia gave the 15-member Security Council a draft resolution on Friday, seen by Reuters, which would ask the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez to establish an international investigation into the sabotage and identify who was to blame. Russia's deputy UN ambassador, Dmitry Polyansky, said the aim was to put the text to a vote within a week. A council resolution needs at least nine votes in favor and no vetoes by the United States, Britain, France, China, or Russia to pass. Mm -hmm. This means a vote could coincide with meetings of the UN General Assembly and Security Council to mark the first anniversary of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. The 193-member General Assembly is likely to vote on Thursday to again demand Moscow withdraw its troops and call for a halt to hostilities. Sweden and Denmark, in whose exclusive economic zones the attacks on the Nord Stream pipelines occurred, have concluded the pipelines were blown up deliberately but have not said who might be responsible. The United States and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, have called the incident an act of sabotage. Moscow has blamed the West. Neither side has provided evidence. Invest investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch, who won a Pulitzer Prize in 1970, wrote last week, citing an unidentified source, that U.S. Navy divers had destroyed the pipelines with explosives on the orders of President Joe Biden. The White House has dismissed dismissed the allegations as utterly false and complete fiction. Now, what is interesting is I heard a, a, an interesting and fun theory that the U.S. may not have been involved in the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline, which I feel like when this happened and we had the entire discussion about it and Alan and I were like, well, strategically, the only person that this makes any sense for or the only country this makes any sense for is the United States. But at the same time, there was an interesting presentation of what if what if this did like what if this happened and it wasn't the United States, but the United States leaked out a story to be written by a semi obscure journalist at this point to write it to make Joe Biden look tough. Now, how would I think Joe that, Biden look tough? 
Um, so the concept here is that it gets leaked out that Joe Biden planned this entire, uh, basically black op to take out the Nord Stream pipeline. And he's so smooth and strategic <laughs> that they leak it out and the basically people see it and it's like, oh my gosh, this could have happened, but we don't know for sure. Mm. But if it did happen, it's because Joe Biden's like so super smart and tough with the military that he does surgical strikes against Russia, but they're super clandestine. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but it is something you do have to apply that logic when doing analysis sometimes there well let me just say like there are absolutely instances where an administration would do things like that and Certainly. the biden administration especially would lie their ass off about anything i don't think that this is true but it's an interesting thing to to think about but at the same time i'll be very interested i don't i have What's amazing about the Ukraine thing, number one, it has basically destroyed the credibility of NATO because NATO, there's no way to look at it any different. NATO looks like the aggressor to the rest of the world that's not in NATO. There are mm -hmm. a lot of countries, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, these other countries have to look at what the United States is doing and there's basically zero way that they don't look at it and go, okay, so if NATO gets upset at something we're doing, even if it's not against a NATO country, apparently they can just NATO at us. Which, if you're a lot of countries, that becomes a problem. It doesn't matter what they vocally say. They might say they support Ukraine. Well, think about it. If if you're a, if you're you know the leader of some other random country, um, like Romania or what the hell ever. Do would would you would you feel slightly bullied? Like I have to support Ukraine, or else I'm going to be basically attached to Russia. And does that mean NATO comes for me too? Does that mean a bunch of American companies will destroy my economy at the whims of the U.S. government? Yeah. Does that mean that they're going to launch a color revolution to overthrow me and put somebody in place that will agree with them? Does it mean that they will start seizing the assets of my citizens in other countries? Right, exactly. And so on the international stage, if you're being honest, NATO looks like it's basically a giant bully. Right. It's uh, the thing is, they were doing this sort of thing to uh, the fact that they that all of this came because they were, despite Russian protests going through with we need to add Ukraine to NATO. Is absolutely not is is the part that to me that makes it look so unseemly. Well, and the American people are being sold a, a lie because most people don't know that. Most people don't know that at all. It, it's actually alarming how many people don't know that. And then the minute you're like, but that's literally what Russia was saying when they were putting troops on the border. They were explaining specifically why they were doing it, and it was this. And because of the programming and the conditioning, everyone's like, well, I don't care what they say. They just wanted to invade Ukraine. It's like, but they were saying this, like, it doesn't matter. They lie. <laughs> okay. So it's just, basically, it's just, I don't care what Russia says, why it was doing it. I'm just going to believe what the United States is claiming why Russia is doing something. 
It's trust your government. Right. I'm actually alarmed at how many for how close we are to the Donald Trump presidency. Liberals are pretty easily just moving to the trust your government phase. Yeah. Which I find strange. (laughs) It is rather bizarre, isn't it? Anyway. Trying to think if we have any other news for I mean, well, we, there's all the stuff with the well, with what? Sorry. Well, there's the stuff with John Fetterman. How? Oh no 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 said, no! I, I, sorry, I meant with Ukraine. I meant with oh Ukraine. with Ukraine. Nay, yeah. no, I think okay, we've okay, kind yeah. of exhausted that. There is one more thing before we start diving into some of those bigger topics, which is um, the Department of Justice has decided not to go forward with any sort of investigation or charges against Representative Matt Gates. And there was much screaming and gnashing of teeth from the left. And I just want to remind everybody, Joe Biden's corrupt Department of Justice has decided to not go after Matt Gates. Now, if, for those of you who don't remember, there was this wild investigation of supposedly Matt Gates was like a pedo and was like involved in human trafficking. And even though it was like a year or maybe two ago that we found out that this entire like crux of this investigation was birthed by somebody who was trying to extort Matt Gates's father. A man went to jail. One of the people who pushed this conspiracy is in prison for extortion. Because he went to Matt Gates's father and said, give me a bunch of money uh, to help me fund getting this guy out of Iran or and I'll make things better for you on the investigation of your son. And Matt Gates's dad went to the FBI and wore a wire. And these men were basically trying to extort him, saying there's going to be an investigation into your son. You need to give us millions of dollars. And we'll make this investigation into your son go away. And then all of a sudden there's this supposed investigation into Matt Gates that he was like trafficking in minors. Huh. And it was like never taken seriously by Matt Gates. He was like, yeah, this is stupid. That didn't happen. Right. And now finally, and, and, and I just, I just want to point out it. It's Biden's DOJ. They're corrupt as hell. That means that they not only did they not have a case, they had like not even the inkling or aspect of a case. Because would, I'll just ask this. Do you think that Merrick Garland and Joe Biden's DOJ wouldn't love to completely destroy the career of Matt Gates, regardless of if they got a conviction? Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Democrats decide not to investigate somebody because they just don't think they'd get them charged? Like no. the process is the punishment with the Democrats. They don't care if they get charged. We see this with Trump. The process is the punishment, which means that that's how you know it had to have been fake as hell. If they had even the chance of getting headlines from the complicit media, they would have gone forward with it. Or it was almost too bumbling that uh, something 
that in the method of discovery, we'll put it that way, if Matt Gates had to go to trial from the DOJ, the method of, method of discovery would probably be something along the lines of, oh, and here was the FBI op to try to get Matt Gates. Right. You know, like, oh, but it failed. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, it was weird. We had a uh, we had an FBI agent pose as like a 17-year-old girl and try to seduce Matt Gates, but he didn't take the bait. Like, what? why were you doing that? And it's like, uh, to see whether or not he might be a pedo. Like, that sounds like you were trying to entrap him. Anyway. It certainly does. You guys get the idea. But um, I had a clip, I can't find it though, unfortunately, where Nicole Wallace from MSNBC literally went on air with her panel of experts that all agree with her, because like we said, that's how liberal media works, who uh, was like, well, even though Matt Gates isn't being charged, he's still an absolute sicko and a pervert. It's like, yeah, they say that about anyone. Yeah, but it's like, but, but he didn't do anything and you couldn't charge him. And it's just, that's, 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 that's the left guys. That's how they work anyway. Um, and of course, I mean, regardless of Matt Gates, it's like, this is the thing that always annoys me is Democrats are going to be like, just because he wasn't charged, doesn't mean he's guilt. Doesn't mean he's not guilty. And it's just like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, you guys are completely insane. Um, although you did bring up John Fetterman and, uh, I have a theory about this that is going to offend people a lot. No, I don't think it will. Well, it's going to offend somebody. I just don't know if I care about who it is. <laughs> I mean the left. All right. So many of you probably saw the news story that John Fetterman checked himself in to Walter Reed Hospital for clinical depression. Now, okay. to remind everybody who John Fetterman is, he's the guy who wears hoodies and jeans uh, everywhere he goes. And won the Pennsylvania Senate seat against Dr. Mehmet Oz, uh, even though he had a debilitating stroke while on the campaign trail that his campaign and the Democrat Party tried to hide from literally everyone until it was unsustainable to lie about it. Then they said he had a stroke, but he was totally fine and continued to hide him until that became unsustainable. And then they put him in front of cameras and it was a a journalist explained that it was rather difficult for John Fetterman to hold a conversation without the aid of somebody sending him words on a screen to talk. And she that journalist even got in trouble for revealing that even though it was true and what was happening somehow he still got elected and everyone was wondering and we've been wondering and we've even brought this up of how long is john fetterman actually going to stay in the senate because let's be honest here democrats only care about the seat and john fetterman like he cannot communicate he is not doing well It is honestly disturbing as a country that this man was able to get elected. To be completely honest, and I I don't want to get into a debate about Pennsylvania politics or whatever with anybody here, it's actually really sad that Mehmet Oz was such a bad candidate that they literally chose a guy who had a stroke over him. Yeah. And that guy was endorsed by Trump. So we kind of have to... That's a thing. It's... It's a thing. Anyway, point is, though, 
um, once again, and in direct juxtaposition to Joe Biden, we have Democrats who are literally mentally incapacitated in the United States Senate. And the Democrats are basically like, don't talk about that. It doesn't matter. That's all fine. It's not fine. Nothing about this is fine at all. And I know that this is a silly way to take the argument, but if it was a Republican, they would be demanding that person's resignation. I mean, I don't know a lot about George Santos, but they're upset that he lied about his resume. John Fetterman lied about having a stroke. Right. And now he and now his that has cut up with him and he can no longer hold the office he was elected to. Mm hmm. So the, the, so the question would be, mm-hmm. did the Democrat Party in that state view pulling him as a candidate as a worse option than allowing him to continue, than pushing him as a candidate, knowing that he was essentially infirm, that he was unable to discharge his duties, but they wanted to ensure that they won the seat, so they kept pushing him on the ballot. Is that, no? do you think that's, that's what exactly- happened? That's exactly what happened. And in addition to it, so think about this. They knew that he was mentally incapacitated because of his stroke. They knew he was likely not going to be able to perform his duties. They pushed him anyway because they need to get a D on that seat. That was it. They needed to get the D on the seat. They needed to try to get the advantage in the Senate. That is all of it. And of course, there's a Democrat governor. So if he if he leaves, the either his wife takes over or the Democrat or the Democrat governor appoints someone to fill his seat. Now, what I will tell you is what this looks like to me is the Democrats needed an off ramp strategy. First of all, we need to win the seat. So we get that Democrat. So it's a D we have to have mm-hmm. a D on that seat. Now they need an off ramp strategy. They can't have him leave due to health reasons connected to his stroke, because that would make the right wing right. That would make all the right. warnings, all the concerns, everything that was put forward by um, the Oz campaign and Republicans, that would make them right. And they can't have that. The, the racists can't win. So right. Right. now I almost guarantee that people sitting in a boardroom somewhere in Washington, D.C., focus grouped and tested, how can they do a compassionate release of John Fetterman? And they chose clinical depression and they chose clinical depression because they believe it to be unassailable. And let me explain that. John Fetterman decides that he's going to resign to focus on his mental health because he has clinical depression and it just wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be good for him to continue to try to discharge his duties when he needs to be focusing on his own health. And everybody goes, it's stunning and brave. Mental health is a big deal. And anybody who even says an ill word about this is being mean to people who suffer from depression. How dare you? Oh, you're so depraved. How dare you be mean to this poor, this poor infirm person who's fighting depression that's why they did this i it seems like in order to pull this bait and switch Mm -hmm. where you have the candidate you've been running all the ads for has a stroke but you're like screw it just get him into office because we don't have time to find a new candidate before the election and then now that he's in you're like okay now but he is basically brain dead so we need to get him out of here in a way that is that doesn't make us look terrible 
It seems like the only way you could really pull that off is if you had a very complicit media who was going to go along with this and not ask embarrassing questions. Well, the media was all but complicit through the entire campaign after he had a stroke. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, did did you see anybody making a big deal out of it or demanding, you know, investigations into it? Did you see anybody suggesting that this was a problem? Did you see any media outlets like I mean, not non-conservative media outlets uh, suggesting that he should resign for the betterment of the people of Pennsylvania? I certainly did not. And so I'm sure know. when they try to remove from office for, you know, clinical depression or whatever it happens to be. The media will line up behind it, behind the false narrative, and silence anyone with a that tries to ask questions, so that they can just retire him peacefully. And the bunch and the Democrat voters of that state will feel will be able to pat themselves on the back, thinking nothing is the matter. And I don't want to steal this from you, but when we were talking about this last night. You suggested that this might be a test case for something. I did because they, I think that they knew Fetterman was going to have problems before the election, and somebody. This is a this is a theory. My theory is that someone in the Democrat Party looked at Fetterman and said, "If this all gets completely screwed up and it does have negative blowback on us, we have a we can silo it off and say, well, that's just this one state and a few people. We can sacrifice that." And cut it off from the Democrat Party. We can use our control of the media to blame, you know, the guy's wife or somebody and say, oh, no, nope, that's not us at large. But I think that somebody might have looked at this and said, this is a good test run for how we could possibly get rid of Joe Biden. Joe Biden, clearly, based on the whole, the way that this, the balloon thing was handled, the way that the Ohio de train derailment is being handled, the way the, the whole Ukraine crisis is being handled, proves to me that. All of these government organizations and agencies are operating without a cohesive set of leadership. Joe Biden is clearly not the president. He's an empty suit, and that means that there's two possibilities. Well, which could both be happening at the same time. That there is someone else who is not Joe Biden, who is basically a power behind the throne, who is secretly organizing these all these different agencies and running the country as the chief executive, or there is currently no chief executive of the United States and all of the chief executive decision-making is happening via committee amongst people who don't have the explicit authority to act in the name of the president. And I think the latter is more likely that Joe Biden is simply weakened at Bernie's in the presidency. <laughs> and there is the, group of advisors and people around him who do not have the authority to order people around as president trying to run the country as trying to do the duties of the chief executive and that's why things seem like they are all falling apart everywhere the because there is not a single unifying leadership guiding all of these all of these different federal agencies uniting it pushing it cohesive messaging they're all op basically throwing whatever they can at the wall and seeing what sticks. I think that is a good, better answer for why we keep seeing all these crises emerge and all of these bizarre actions by the administration than any sort of intentional plan. Now, I think a lot of these people, if America was going to collapse and fail, probably 
wouldn't really raise an eyebrow because a lot of the people that support them want that exactly. But at the same time, I think the reason their responses to all of these emerging problems are so scattershot and bizarre is because no one's actually at the helm, which also then makes a, a ripe environment for political infighting. There might be generals in the DOD who are trying to pull or trying to basically grab power away from Joe Biden's advisors. I'm sure there's people in the Justice Department and the FBI and the CIA and all of those, the heads of all of these government agencies are all usually very ambitious people and, and are kind of only held together because you have a president with legitimate authority who can order them around with if that position is vacant there is now a power vacuum at the top of the u.s superstructure that all of these different interests are trying to fill but none of them can officially take the position because that would have no legitimacy anyway i think joe biden's an empty suit i think the executive branch currently is a complete mess and I think that it is possible a bunch of Democrats are going, how can we get, like, this situation cannot last and will only end in ruin. How can we get rid of Joe Biden? And I think they've thought this for a while. I would wonder if the whole Fetterman scenario is a test bed for, can we remove this guy via this contrived medical issue? And does that cause a bunch of blowback? Do we still win the next election if we do that? Yeah, or do and we have I, to I wait? would wonder if people in the De Republic Democrat Party are looking at the Fetterman's situation and saying, if they can pull it off there, maybe we can do that for Biden here and somehow get some <laughs> semblance of order to this whole mess. It's an interesting thought, and, and honestly, to kind of run on that thread a little bit about how weird the administration is being, because the, the messaging, the messaging is trash. Um, and I'll give you a great example of it. We'll, we'll shift a little bit go and go back into the uh, East Palestine uh, tra train derailment because I do want to bring that up. We, we, we brought it up last week and we asked the question on the show, why aren't liberals seizing on this? We mentioned the fact that Mike DeWine is a Republican and why mm -hmm. wouldn't they like why why wouldn't they gladly? be attacking a Republican governor who's having a environmental catastrophe in his state. It makes zero sense why they weren't right. doing it. We, we, we brought this up and I said that it had to have been for some reason it, it would be bad for them. And we couldn't figure out why we were surmising why that might be or what it might be or what have you. Well, it turns out they finally got their talking points, which is weird. They were very slow about this because mm -hmm. it was becoming a larger and larger news story. Like everybody was seeing this becoming a big deal. And it took quite a while. It was about middle of the week that you started to see the materialization of the attempts at talking points and counter narratives uh, when it came, when it comes to the Palestine, Ohio train derailment and the, the beginning of it, uh, I think the very first one I heard, and it was repeated because a lot of people were asking, like, where's Pete Buttigieg? Isn't he the secretary of transportation and, you know, all no, this sure, other yeah. stuff? Um, this was the first attempt that they that they tried to use. This was the first, uh, basically the, the first big outreach of the administration. This is what they went with as their initial, and there's more. We'll we'll get to the other narratives that they've that they're trying to push. But here was the initial push 
that came from the Department of Transportation's secretary, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, look, rail safety is something that uh, uh, that has evolved a lot over the years, but there's clearly more that needs to be done because uh, while this uh, horrible situation ha- has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. What? That doesn't make it better because that's three derailments every single day. Three derailments a day? You're telling me that three trains... Okay, you're telling me three... Well, actually, let me back it up. First of all, he's saying, no, this is really bad, but just so you guys know, this happens basically all the time, right? Yeah. Okay, what's he he equating it to? What's the situation he's equating it to? Hmm. Palestine, Ohio. Yeah. Is he saying that happens all the time? That happens all the time. Yeah, something this bad happens. Our, our, just it, this is just routine. A giant, a giant chemical spill and fire that blankets a town in potentially incredibly poisonous chemicals. That just happens like a thousand times a year. Right. So, so it's, it's the same as the balloon thing. Look, oh, these well, balloons on, float on, over the on. U.S. all the time. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Chinese spy balloons have been floating over the U.S. for years, and this is the first I've heard of it. What the heck? Well, so, so this this is what's interesting. Yeah, before before we dive into that, just real quick, and and because I want everyone to think about this framing. Are we upset that a train derailed? Are we upset or or are we upset that a train full of chemicals derailed, caught on fire, birds are falling out of the sky and fish are dying? Which is the thing we're upset about? Which is the thing that people are concerned about here? Is it that a train's wheel came off the track or is it that there's a massive amount of chemicals being belched into the sky that could potentially be deadly and the EPA who... Uh, This is what's so interesting about this story. It is a Republican county. It is a Republican state under a Republican governor. And Republicans are the ones that are concerned about it. The reason why they're concerned about it is we all assumed that the EPA would be like screaming from the mountaintops about how terrible this is. And And instead, Republicans are like, why am I more concerned about this than the EPA? Because the EPA is like, nothing to see here. Everything's fine. That's Agreed. literally what the EPA is saying. No, we tested it. Everything's fine. And people are like, but this creek is full of dead fish. They're like, nah, we don't know why. Nah, it, it's fine. Yeah, well, And I'm over here going, I don't trust or believe you. So Which is, I'm going like, to need more than just, nah, it's fine. Stop being so sensitive to all these chemicals the epa will freak out and not allow you to have farmland if a random toad has its migratory path that cuts through your farmland in march you know from this day to this day you can't expand your farm there because we have to protect this like delicate little toad that's the EPA. That's what that's what Republicans think of when they think of the Environmental Protection Agency. Is they're that reactionary, they're that crazy, and they're that basically oppressive to regular American people. But then you have a train on fire with a bunch of toxic chemicals, and they're like, it's okay. That's why also people remember, are concerned. Remember, 
remember when Joe Biden first took office, he shut down the the XL, the big energy pipe, the big oil pipeline under the auspices that really trains are safer than pipelines. <laughs> yeah, he did. that was one of the reasonings. And now you're telling me, actually, there's a thousand de train derailments a year. It's like, oh, OK, well, I heard of zero pipeline incidents. Uh, but and now Pete Buttigieg is telling me there's a thousand derailments a year. So when Joe Biden said when they canceled that pipeline, that oil pipeline, because trains are safer than pipelines, that was uh, just a bald faced lie. I well, then why I did they shut down the pipeline? Well, see, and, and this, by the way, Alan, like we, we, we do need to make sure that the audience understands. They're acting flippant about this. They're acting like everyone knew this. Oh, come on, guys. Like, this happens all the time. It's fine. It Stop it's, being it's three so times, upset is the messaging of the administration. Yes, it is. Yeah. And and what's what's incredible about it is, yeah, there. Well, this happens all the time. Well, here's here's the fun part. Because liberals are grabbing a lot of this. And I'll, I'll get to the other. I'll check the other boxes and what else they're saying about this train derailment as well. But, like... It, Liberals are grabbing a hold of this and running with it. And I've seen it all over Twitter. Well, it actually happens a thousand times a year. Oh, okay. So th basically roughly three times a day, three times a day, uh, uh, trains derailed. Um, why, why haven't you done anything? Why, yeah. why hasn't Biden done anything? And their answer naturally is going to be, well, we, we're just going to blame the Republicans. How right. can you blame the Republicans? You were in charge of the House and the Senate. There was a unilateral Democrat governor, government for the last two years, and you didn't do anything about this? You did nothing. You did zero about this? Explain. Explain yourselves. How come you didn't do anything if you knew? Because they're all acting like they knew. They're all acting like they knew about it. Well, yeah, this happens a thousand times a year, basically three times a day. So you knew well, and you just chose not to do shit. And that goes to the second the second excuse now, because blame Trump is always very popular. And so they said, well, actually, Donald Trump took away a regulation from the Obama administration, and that's what caused this horrific spill. It's really Trump's fault. So why didn't Biden reverse the regulation when he took office? Good question. Uh, like clearly like a lot of this, it seems like the administration's basically the actual job of the secretary of transportation. The actual job of these people is to overview these things, to do the job. And they're so much more focused on, well, there's not enough white men as train, there's not enough black men as train conductors. And that's really the problem here. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're too busy. Um, talking about how diverse some nonsense is than actually doing like what needs to be done and properly administrating anything. Mm -hmm. But what needs to happen, I think, I think by and large in this country is anytime you see or hear one of your liberal friends or whatever, say something along the lines of, well, it's actually Trump's fault. Well, why didn't, why didn't Biden do anything then? Is he stupid? Does he not know? Do like, does something horrible have to happen for Biden to know something's going on in this country? Like basically, do we have to tell the president something's bad? Is that how the country works now? Like, do we have to have a catastrophe for Joe Biden to suddenly take action? Because he's had 
half of an administration now. And the excuse seems to be poor Joe hasn't been able to do anything about these bad things Trump did. He has to wait till a catastrophe happens to fix it. He was in the other administration they're talking about. They're literally saying, well, Obama made this regulation on these trains. Joe Biden was the vice president at the time. He was there during that entire thing. And then Trump changed it. So he could have just changed it back. I don't understand. Why didn't he do that? And and that's what I'm so tired of is if you're going to claim that it's all Donald Trump's fault, well, then why didn't you fix it? The thing is, at the because the... All of these explanations are smoke and mirrors. They didn't change the regulations because nobody was looking at this. And it maybe is even understandable that they weren't. Hey, if, if things, yeah, there's some train, uh, there's a thousand train derailments once a year, but maybe they're all mostly minor. Maybe you aren't looking into it. Mm-hmm. Because they're trotting all of this out now, it's as if they are terrified someone's going to ho- try and hold them accountable, that they're going to get bad press and they're running damage control for something that could have a very understandable uh could have a very understandable reason behind it this train derailment seems like a just freak accident right and nobody is i certainly wouldn't i'm not faulting the biden administration for this for this i'm not even think even if there were these regulations they could have changed it's a freak accident Thousands mm-hmm. of other, you know, for every thousand train derailments a year, there's probably, a, I don't know, a million train runs that don't derail. I'm not, I was not prepared to demonize the Biden administration for causing this, but they seem to feel like I was. They're acting right. as though they have to run damage control for something that nobody was actually going to hold them accountable for. I was going to, I was looking at this going, oh, that's a really terrible thing. Maybe there's some safety things, that could be, but this is, this reminds me a lot of when the hurricane that hurricane that hit Puerto Rico oh, I think such, the left such a said great comparison yeah yeah the left knows that they will use every single tragedy as a way to attack their political opponents remember if I mean the turnabout's fair play right well if the, if Trump was in office you would have the mayor of East Palestine or some group in East Palestine going, we are dying and the president does nothing. Just like they did when that hurricane, a totally natural disaster, hit Puerto Rico. The government, even in that case, the government response was quite appropriate, but they they mischaracterized the response. They blew it out of proportion so they could attack Trump. And I'm pretty sure Democrats looked at this train derailment, saw people on the right were upset about it, and then freaked out and went, oh my gosh, they're going to weaponize this against us, just like we weaponize every natural disaster against them. We have to now over-respond to get ahead of the curve and make it seem like it's not our fault. And it just exposes just how, I guess, cowardly and afraid they are of any criticism. Because well, the, and, and no one was even going to criticize them about this, I think. Like, I, not, I certainly not, was. I don't think most people were ready to go, this is Biden's fault. Not anymore beyond the normal part of politics, right? Exactly. Like the, the and, but their response was, oh my gosh, they're going to blame us just unfairly, like we blame them unfairly. Get ahead of this and lie, go out and lie and do a, say a bunch of stuff. And to me, what this is another good example of is there's no one actually at the wheel. It would have been so easy for a president to simply to respond to this 
to this crash by saying, I am ordering FEMA to start sending people. I'm making federal funds available. We're going to solve this. And people, I, most people on the right would have gone, well, that's actually a very appropriate measures. Yep. But out of their paranoia and inability to actually run the country as an executive branch, they're only left with, Oh, we have to deflect, and it's not my fault. It's not the part of my department. Uh, 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 it's not me. Because I think there's not actually any real leadership leading the country. Well, and, and you know, I, I have a, another theory that kind of goes along with this. Mm-hmm. Because, because, like we're saying now, remember, like everything PR-wise for this administration is on easy mode. And the reason why sure. I say it's on easy mode is because um, they, they they don't have an adversarial press. You know, the media will literally go along with whatever they say. They'll mm-hmm. champion it. They'll echo it. You know, Netflix specials and late night comedians and God and everybody will go out and say, yep, that's the truth. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and, right. and we've, we've seen it for a, a multitude of different situations. Like, you know... It, you you would you would almost assuredly have actually it's good that this train derailed because it allows Joe Biden to point out why he needs infrastructure sure you know or something like that right like that that would be the sell that would be the kind of bullshit sell that we would get from the the media so it's easy mode for the united states or for i'm sorry for the, this administration what i will say that this sounds like to me when I keep seeing it because we're, and we'll get into the China, China balloon as well. And the reactions to the, the floating objects and the same, this the, almost the exact same playbook that we've seen over and over and over again is what if it's not because they're so afraid of how right wingers are going to react because like, since when has the left acted like they care about how right wing, the right wing is going to react. They just demonize us and call us fascists and and uh, uh, racists and whatever. True, but so as would, we've pointed would, out before, they mm-hmm. all sit on Twitter and when they see people on right wingers on Twitter upset about a thing, they react to that thing. No, and that's certainly that's certainly something we do have to consider. Is like, is it because they live on Twitter? But to me, what if it is that? The reason why the administration is like certainly is rudderless, but what if it's also what if they need to mitigate the amount of stress that is applied to Joe Biden? What if the reason why they keep mishandling these crises and almost like basically pretending like nothing's happening and we see the administration not reacting is because they literally can't have Joe Biden having too much stress applied upon him? Because, uh, well, it would reveal his medical issues. I mean, both can be true at the same time. Exactly. Like, like we can't involve the president, which is, we can't involve the person that has actual authority because he's too infirm to make decisions. Or he will try to then make decisions that we can't trust him to make. And so... I mean, I could easily see there's there would be this scenario where his advisors are hiding issues from him and not and saying, no, no, sir, FEMA's got it. Or, oh, don't worry, the Partners Transportation has this covered. You don't need to get involved with this. Oh, don't worry, the DOD has the balloon things covered. You don't need to get involved with this, sir, in order to keep his cognitive load down because the last thing they want is to push his dementia over the edge and create a much worse incident. 
No, exactly. And and it, it very seriously makes me wonder. Like it either way, regardless, it this administration moves pretty slow, which is incredible. And I want to remind everybody, there's a lot of holdovers from the Obama administration. So I know that the normal inclination is to say that these people are just stupid, that they're ignorant, they're bad, and they're incompetent. But like, we all have to admit, Obama had the media wrapped around his finger. And a lot of these same people are in this administration. And so what it does suggest is they're more focused on something else. The focus isn't on, you know, the good press, the good headlines, the what have you. It's on something else. And that focus could be the president. We don't have a president of the United States. And so things move slower because it all has to be done as, as Alan so aptly put it basically by committee. And we have to mitigate the exposure to the president of the United States because God help us all. If that idiot starts talking. Yeah. Cause they'll sit there and oh, I love trains. Uh, trains are great. I used to ride Amtrak. Like, <laughs> Mr. President, like East Palestine, Ohio's on fire. Hey, Palestine and, and Israel, it's a terrible war. Uh, uh sir, no. <laughs> you know, I can see basically that being exactly right. what it, they're trying to avoid. Right. That's why this is characterized as a weekend at Bernie's presidency. Mm-hmm. No, and, 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 it, and it has implications. It's like we are dealing with things that are very serious and very important. And if the president is basically not outside the decision loop, it means the entire U.S. government bureaucratic infrastructure, the whole executive branch, is not responding as one cohesive unit with its, you know, it's, it should be being directed and led in a cohesive way, but it's not. It's probably being run by committee, by, you know, individual departments making their own determinations on how things should run, et cetera. And that is only going to make these problems worse because it is functionally probably very uncoordinated. And that's the way it seems. Looking at how they respond to things, how what the executive branch is doing, it all seems so scattershot and bizarre, probably because it is scattershot and bizarre. Oh, I actually really like this. This is a comment coming from a Scooter from the Beans and Weenie show. Mm -hmm. um, he says, uh, they have three internal groups working in the White House currently. Damage control reputation bolstering and actual government control. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but w which one takes priority? I guarantee reputation bolstering, then damage control, and then government. And we yeah. can see that. So like, uh, like, like Alan was, uh, was, was getting to earlier. It's the same thing with the, like the China balloon and these other objects. So what we saw because we, we saw the same thing. It was a Chinese balloon basically dragged its China basically dragged its sack across the face of the United States or the face of Joe Biden. I'll say dragged its sack across the face of Joe Biden in the in the form um, of a uh, of a balloon. And the next thing that, you know, uh, their response literally was, oh, this happens all the time. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. This is totally perfectly normal. And it's like, I'm sorry, what the hell are you talking about? No, it's not. And they're exactly. like, no, this happened. This, this actually happened a lot. And weirdly, John Kirby, the same guy that we just played, that was uh, basically going nuts about, um, 
uh, Ukraine, he was solidly asked um, about like, you know, about this balloon deal. And his response was, well, this actually happened in the previous administration. Uh, but then when it happened in this administration, we shot it down. It's like, dude, Doesn't it's the same DOD. It's the same DOD with the same planes, the same radars, generally probably almost all the same officers in command. Yeah, I mean, I, Miley was still the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I don't understand. Yeah. The yeah. national, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the uh, director of the NSA, same, director of the FBI, same. Yeah, so again, so, this is a lie designed to deflect criticism which is bizarre because they didn't need to do that. All they needed to do is be honest and say, hey, there's these balloons. It's a big pro It's a problem. Here's our initiative to solve it. And it's like, well, you know, I guess can't be too upset. This idea, right, this, exactly. Going back in time, saying like, well, actually, no, this happens all the time. You just, you know, we, we're just so good at it now. It's like, that's a bizarre response. What? What was, who, who says that about these things? And right. then they yeah. announced just... that, you know, so there was the Chinese balloon. And then there were, I think, three other objects that were shot down over Alaska, Canada, and Lake Huron in the ensuing days. The, and the, uh, it was actually announced by the administration that actually, yeah, all of those we've uh, identified as they were all either privately owned weather balloons or, you know, things that are not really a problem. Right, which is interesting because they also say that they can't recover them. But the initial thing that they told us was that they were... Sorry, the dog's going nuts. Um, they also told us that um, they were a, a threat to civilian air travel. That was the whole right. reason why they had to shoot them down. Right, that that's, that's, why they, that's how they justified shooting them down, is these are a threat to civilian air traffic, which if they were actually legit weather balloons, then they shouldn't be a threat to civilian air traffic because all of those legitimate agencies would have to register i i i this is a, this is an assumption but i think it's a very good one if you have something flying around in u.s airspace you have to register it with the faa and i assume if it's a weather balloon especially if it's in an area where it, if it's at an altitude that could be a threat to civilian flight you have to notify the faa which means the d all the dod needed to do was make a phone call to the FAA and say, hey, do you have any weather balloons out here? The FAA would say, yep, let me look at the logs. Oh yeah, there's this one owned by this group, this one owned by this university, this one owned by this company, and they're here, here, and here. So either the DOD and the FAA could not have, were not coordinating between each other about things in US airspace, or these were actually Chinese spy balloons and they're lying to us that they weren't. Which means either, either again, there's, there is no co cohesive leadership unifying these branches of the federal government, or that cohesive leadership is lying to the American people for some bizarre end. Right. No, and, and that's that's exactly it. And that's the problem is it's like, what what exactly is happening? Because like, so I, I imagine that, you know, if they're weather balloons, research balloons, like there's probably a ton of those, right? Like, I yeah. don't understand. And they would so all be would... logged with the, and they sh I would imagine they're all logged with the FAA. So there should be no confusion about what these drones are and what they do. But also at the same time, when we knew it was a Chinese spy balloon, we didn't shoot it down. But then when we didn't know at all what it was, launch a missile at it, does that make sense? Is that Seems how the like military a very bizarre works? reaction? Very like, bizarre. 
sir, what is that? Oh, I have no idea. Well, we should kill it. Like, okay, but like you didn't take down the, sir, what's that? Oh, it's a Chinese spy balloon. What should we do? Well, ah, let it be. Right. And that's why it, that because the, I think that doesn't make sense. And it sounds like somebody that was not the president was making that call. Like how, I mean, there could have been some general inside the, in the U.S. military that said like, okay, shoot him down. And it's like, well, sir, don't you need to talk to the president before you do that? It's like, Haha, we both know that nobody talks to the president about this. I've, I've been told that I have the authority to deal with things by the cabal behind Joe Biden because he's not, he's out of the decision-making loop. Right. And perhaps it's also um, a, a situation where it's like fear. I can't make the wrong decision, so I have to make the most reactionary decision I can. Yeah, Th this will be a decision that will make the administration look good and look good. And then the administration then has to grasp its straws like, oh, God, that guy just did a thing that he thought was right. But now what actually look makes us look bad, it it's this it's like the administration's working against itself. And that's why I feel like all these components of the federal bureaucracy are basically leaderless because they're not exhibiting coordinated behavior. Well, and at the same time, like if you think about it, the, the only thing that makes sense when you when you look at this thing in, in whole and in total is, okay, so what you guys are basically telling us is Joe Biden was so embarrassed over the whole Chinese balloon thing that the minute that somebody's like, well, now that we're looking, there's some other aircraft. They were like, oh my God, shoot it down. It was so embarrassing for Joe. Yeah. Because like, that's what they're saying is that they're literally like the only, first of all, they can't recover any of it. Seriously? That seems very, seems rather strange. If I'm being it, honest. It seemed, First of all, with the reactions that were being had, and I don't have the clip, but it was so dumb because they're trying to make a joke out of it. We said that they were going to do this. We said that they would get all the comedians and everybody ready on it. And even Corinne Jean-Pierre, when she was introducing, basically when she was bringing it over to have the DOD basically fall on its sword and say, yeah, we launched like $40,000 missiles at these things, but we don't know what they are. And also we can't recover them. She started it with, I just want to make sure everybody knows that these were not UFOs. These are not proof of extraterrestrial life. Yes. Which yes, there were people that were, that was kind of more of a joke and a meme. Well, no, because people, because the administration was intentionally saying, instead of just balloon, they were saying unidentified object. And I think it was so they could, they could tr basically say that people would go, is this like those UFOs that you guys kept talking about and showing the Navy footage of last year? And then as, as a way to muddy the waters and derail uh, the discussion about the U.S. response to basically invasions of its airspace. I think that was an intentional decision to make it so that somebody talked about UFOs and it could have been even someone in the administration. Like, I'm going to say an unidentified object in our press release, a news outlet is going to write a, write something and then hint, could it be aliens? And then we'll point to that article and go, see how dumb people think these are aliens. And that will avoid every discussion of our culpability for a violation of us airspace. Right. And like, like Scooter's saying in the chat, thousands of private entity balloons are flown every year. Exactly. This, There's three balloons over U.S. airspace a day. <laughs> this happens all the time. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, 
Why would why would you, why would you admit to that? You're in charge, dummies. You know that, right? So when you yeah. tell everybody, actually, this thing that you're bothered by happens all the time. Okay, so you suck even worse. Like yeah, the, great like the, the correct response. The correct response is this thing happens and here is our and we and don't worry citizens we have a plan to fix it but it's almost like the focus is on how do we avoid any negative publicity or any responsibility for anything and focus it on everything but we have responsibility to for the for the future of america because none of their responses are focused on what they're going to do in the future about this stuff it's all on why it's not a pr problem right now all right, real quick, not to distract, but I need to address the dog in the background. Fair enough. Because it's hilarious. Um, there was another dog in my driveway. Oh, boy. Ten minutes ago. That dog has been gone for ten minutes. But now Ryder can't see him, but doesn't know where he went. And this is upsetting him to no avail. <laughs> he is running back and forth between every window in my studio right now and whining because where'd the other dog go? Yeah. This is upsetting well, it, it, him. It a could lot. be a threat. <laughs> Maybe the dog could in the be kitchen hiding. eating Ryder's food. Yeah, that's exactly it. And like, no matter what, I keep trying to like pull him over and getting him, get him to quiet down. And he's doing like the nudge thing that he does. Like, no, you don't understand. There's something outside. We must go and investigate. <laughs> it's just like, dude, it's fine. The dog, somebody, somebody came to, to um, pick up my daughter's friend and they had their dog on the leash and brought him out and whatever. And that was it. And they brought their dog along and then they left. And now he's like, there was another one in the, in the yard. It's like, it's fine, dude, calm down. But nope, no, it's, this is just perplexing him. So anyway, I just wanted everyone to know that I'm not beating my dog or, you know, depriving him of food or something. He's just, uh, he's just an idiot. Um, right. to be fair, actually, my dog sometimes in his more derpy moments reminds me of Joe Biden. But when I tell him that, he gets upset and he actually barks at me. Um, anyway, the problem that I have, though, well, okay, so I don't know where this messaging came from. And I don't know, I guess I, the, the part that bothers me is how do the American people not see this as literally the most disrespectful thing you could potentially ever say, which is, and it's the reaction for everything, which is, first of all, the thing you're worried about is not actually a problem. They did that with the balloon. They did it with inflation. Inflation's not actually happening. It's a right-wing conspiracy. This yeah. balloon isn't a big deal. It's a right-wing conspiracy. Probably at some point, somebody said the train derailment in Palestine, Ohio is just a right-wing conspiracy. Um, I know then, the New York Times published an article some, essentially to that effect, saying right-wingers are all upset about this poisonous cloud in Ohio. Oh my gosh, how crazy can they be? The EPA assures us that even though all the fish are dead and so are all the chickens in a 100-mile radius, it's nothing to be concerned about. Right. Now, now the question is, um, well, so it's always, it's not actually a problem. Then it's okay, maybe it is a problem, but it's somehow like Trump's fault or something or Republicans' fault somehow. Then it's turned into, actually, it's good that it happened. 
because mm-hmm. the balloon was the great one, right? Like, oh, it's not a big deal. Right wingers are upset about a balloon. What a bunch of losers. Oh my God. Wow. They're so mad over a balloon. They're triggered by a balloon. Then it was actually, it's good that we let it dr- fly across the United States because we were able to get all this intelligence from it. And Joe Biden, then it was, it's great that Joe Biden shot it down. And it's like, yeah. what the? At some point, they're going to tell us why they're going to tell us that all of these chemicals being poured into East Palestine is a good thing somehow. But the other thing I do want to point out, too, in in just the reaction to literally all of these things is look at how quickly the media tries to figure like their priority appears to be figure out a way to blame Trump for it. Right. They did it with the balloon. That's how we found out that supposedly three others flew over the United States during the Trump administration. It's just literally nobody knew about it. Now with the train thing, they instead of focusing on anything about the people in, in, in Ohio or its effect and the, the environment that all of these journalists purport to care so much about, none of that's the news story. It was figure out if there's a way to blame Trump. And it's yeah. insane to me and offensive that the American people, well, I'm concerned for my country. It, I, I, I'm going to be concerned for my country if the American people are not seeing that pattern. And there needs I'll, to be a I think at least point. half of them are. I think at least half of them are, and the other half can't see it because the people responsible for showing it to them are basically playing for the bad guys. Right. It's just, it's just in, insane and fascinating at the same time. Like you, like you can't help yourselves. And, and I guess that's a big thing too, is it's like, all I'm seeing is a complicit media constantly running interference for Joe Biden. Why does Joe Biden need so much interference run for him? What the hell is going on? Yes. And I think you have the best answer. It's the weekend at Bernie's presidency. Yeah. And how... How shameful is it, not only with the John Fetterman thing that we that we can you know connect to it, how shameful is it that the left is so obsessed with power that they would literally put an invalid in the office just to be able to have that little bit of power? They don't care how effectual it is. Just to have that little bit of power, they would put a literal invalid in office just to have power and tell me that I'm the bad person for thinking that they would lie to me, for thinking that they would steal an election, for thinking that they would jail their political opponents when they're this craven just to have power? Yeah. And it also shows that it doesn't work. They don't believe that they don't believe in that people that in things like good leadership, that all these decisions can just be made by a collective group, that we don't need competent or skilled people, that everybody's equal, it's all fine. And I think versus writ large, instead of having someone who is a good, intrinsically good leader in the position, they are doing it all by a committee of, you know, just random bureaucrats. And it's turning out to be a disaster, which is ironically proving the right wing completely correct in its adherence to saying no there should be hierarchies the, the the last the last point that i'll make here which was which was my my favorite was that one of the more common 
attempts to deflect from Biden that I saw liberals doing on uh, social media was why hasn't J.D. Vance passed legislation to get money to the people in Ohio if he's so concerned about it? Like, first of all, I want to remind everybody, J.D. Vance is one of two senators from Ohio because each state gets two. The other senator is Sherrod Brown. Mm Mm-hmm who's a Democrat and also hasn't done anything, hasn't actually, as far as I know, said anything about the disaster. J.D. Vance actually went to Ohio, at least, and has been posting what's going on there and has been lobbying uh, to try to get funds and aid and everything else out there to include directing citizens to where they can go to get their well water checked for free. Yeah. So at least that's been happening But the actual answer or the actual quote unquote solution, just to deflect from Joe Biden, there's, and I'm going to say this right now, there's zero way these Democrats on social media don't know that this is what they're doing and it makes it that much more gross. Yeah. There's zero way that they don't know that like they're looking at this and going, I need to be able to blame Republicans. I can't blame Joe Biden. So, uh, screw these people suffering uh, why isn't J.D. Vance going through the painstaking process of writing legislation, having it go through committee, then having it approved by the House, then having it go through committee in the Senate, then having it approved by the Senate, then having it approved by the president, when the president of the United States could just declare it a federal emergency and send FEMA funds? Uh, well, the state of emergency has to be declared by the governor, and he has not declared a state of emergency. And so that complicates the federal response. And one of the reasons he hasn't declared a state of emergency was because so if they declare a state of emergency, it becomes much more difficult to hold the company accountable uh, for the um, incident. Well, I will parlay that a little bit because of the effect of the environment, the environmental, the potential environmental disaster. Mm-hmm. There's not just one governor involved. This is on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Sure. So why hasn't Democrat Josh Shapiro declared a state of emergency to get FEMA funds out there? Potentially Maybe it would because only go to both of them want to potentially because they want to make sure the company is held accountable and initiating yeah. a state of emergency and then the entire FEMA architecture would, and this is just according that. to what their offices have said. According to what sure. their offices, their, the office of the governor of Ohio said is mm-hmm. he wants to ensure that the, nothing can get in the way of holding the company accountable and initiating the entire federal disaster response, basically, I don't know, infrastructure makes the makes that much that makes that more difficult. Yeah, no, I mean that that is reasonable and we and just just to just to clear it up a little bit for the uh for the audience as well is so both a republican and a democrat governor uh, have basically kind of along the same lines of thinking so that seems to be logical so why are democrats like well we know why the, the answer is the democrats are freaking out so hard and trying to figure out who who they can blame because they want to politicize this because they want to politicize everything. But in reality, the biggest fear is, oh, God, this is going to hurt Joe Biden. This is going to hurt Democrats. And so I have to attack. Yes. Because all anyone, everyone, 
I think everyone on the left should be celebrating the fact that apparently Republicans seem concerned about the environment. I thought that that was going to be the reaction we were going to get. I thought that liberals are going to be like, don't act like you care about the environment now. You just wanted to score p- cheap political points against Biden. Because I was like, yeah, that, w- that would be how I would argue it. But apparently they didn't. So I don't know. Uh, fascinating. But uh, obviously we're going to keep tracking it. But as always, if you guys want to get more information and more content like this, help support our program by going over to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio. So for two ninety nine a month, you guys can help keep us on air, help us pay the bills and get everything out there. And don't forget to join our discord. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week.